0: And discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. Make sure to go to TimCast.com, click Join Us and Become a Member. To support this podcast and all the work we do, and you'll get access to exclusive uncensored segments from Timcast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. It's a viral story about a female journalist who took $50,000 out of her bank account, placed it in a shoebox and handed it to a stranger. And then she wrote an article about, heavens, how could I have been scammed and fallen for this? And the only thing I can think of is that you must be asking yourself, how am I stupider than she is that she could even have the $50,000? Like, what am I doing wrong? Well, I don't know. You're not stupider. Uh, many of you probably do have savings, but there are certainly many of you who are like, there is no way I would be stupid enough to give out of my bank, put it in a shoebox, give it to a guy in an SUV, and watch him drive off as I smiled. How could that happen? Well, the world is not fair, my friends, but this story is legit one of the funniest things I have ever read. I feel bad for this lady. She got scammed, but someone uh, tweeted out at me. I said it's legit one of the funniest stories I've ever read, and they said, Imagine being stupid enough to get scammed out of $50,000 by putting it in a shoebox and handing it to a stranger, but imagine even being, being stupider, uh, stupid enough to then write about how you deserved to be scammed. Okay, okay, all right. Nobody deserved to be scammed, and scams happen to the best of us. In this particular instance, holy crap, I'm going to give you the gist of the story. I'm going to read through a bit of it, but um, this one is particularly, particularly what. Okay, dude, I am terrified of scams, okay, because you never know, right? We're doing big business. We're buying properties. We're setting up companies. It's funny when all these, you know, these, these far leftists are like, how does Tim Pool have money? It's like I run like 30 companies, like a whole bunch. A lot of wire transfers, a lot of contracting deals. It's not just what you see here on this YouTube. That means when I got to wire someone like $100,000 for a project, yo, I, I check every I is dotted, every T is crossed. And then I'm like, now resend it and call me and meet me in person because there are a million and one ways to scam people out of money that don't involve being stupid. That is, you could be working on, let's say you're, you're doing some kind of like loan agreement, you're gonna buy a house and you've got to do a wire transfer for like 15 or 20,000 dollars, maybe more than that. I mean, if, if you're buying a house, and let's say it's like two hundred grand, and you're going to put 20% down, $40,000 has to be wired. And so you go to the lawyer, and he's like, sign the paperwork, we we'll do all this. Here's the seller, you shake hands, you're like, everything looks good. Here's the deed, you got title insurance, everything's taken care of. And you're like, all right, everything looks perfect. And then you get an email from the guy being like, wire instructions are as follows, please confirm, respond, you know, uh, that you've gotten them, and you do. And it and the email says, you get another email shortly back after saying, you can wire, wire instructions are good to go. Please wire now. You know, point will be later. You go to the bank, you hand the guy all the information. Everything looks good. You met him in person. You got title, you got everything done. You sign it off and say, there we go. $40,000 wired it away. It's like, you're good to go. We're good. We're confirmed. We have the number. Everything's confirmed. And bang, everything's wired off. And you're like, really excited. Like, that's it. Like, that was the down payment. We're getting the house. And then you uh, get another email from the lawyer saying, wire instructions are as followed. Please call me back and let me know you've confirmed this. And uh, we can meet up at this date. And you go, wait, why? No, I already got the wire instructions. What do you mean? And you call and say, we just wired the money. And they say, oh, you, you did. Okay, great. Uh, well, we haven't gotten it yet. And you're like, I, I don't know what's going on. And then it turns out what happened was you were hacked you were being spied on and someone sent you a spoofed email giving you false wire instructions so that you would wire it to the wrong person things like that could happen i, I know the scenario describes a little bit rare but i absolutely you got to we got to go through the story okay here's the gist of the story because i know i was ranting for 4 minutes already the important point of the story and why i think it's relevant to all of us is it's about a journalist and these are the kind of people who are writing the news this is a woman who received a phone call from amazon allegedly who told her that her identity had been stolen and she was going to be she was going to be transferred to the FTC. So then she gets a phone call from the FTC and the guy claims he's investigating her for serious crimes and she's being investigated and they're going to freeze her assets. He's going to transfer her now to the CIA. And she's like, okay. And then the CIA guy on the phone is like, yeah, basically money laundering, theft, stolen cars, and you're the one who's going to go to jail for it. And so she's like, Oh, oh no, what do I do, ma'am? You have to take $50,000 out of your bank account, put it in a shoebox, and hand it to my guy. And she goes, okay, whatever you say. How? How could anyone fall for that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, no one ever accused journalists of being smart people. Let me read through as much of this as I can. Um, because I don't want to make like a 50 minute video reading this whole article. I just want to give you the key points, but it's how the day I put $50,000 in a shoebox and handed it to a stranger, I never thought I was the kind of person to fall for a scam. I, I feel bad that she got scammed. Okay. But like, there's a point in the story where she has all of her family savings. Okay. Most of it, or most of her savings. I don't know, maybe her husband has hidden assets or, or separate assets and she walks past her husband, like what's going on? She's like, "Shh," and then she goes aside and gives, gives all the money away. Amazing. Later on, he's like, why didn't you tell me I would have stopped you? And she's like, I don't know. I'm a journalist. Uh. (laughs) On Tuesday evening this past October, I put $50,000 in cash in a shoebox, taped it shut as instructed and carried it to the sidewalk in front of my apartment. My phone clasped to my ear. Don't let anyone hurt me, I told the man on the phone feeling pathetic. You won't be hurt. Just keep doing exactly as I say. Three minutes later, a white Mercedes SUV pulled up to the curb. The back window will open, said the man on the phone. Do not look at the driver or talk to him. Put the box through the window, say thank you, and go back inside. Now, when you first read this, it seems like her family was being threatened. When she said, do not let anyone hurt me, they're going to say, the man on the phone knew my home address, my social security number, the names of my family members, and that my two-year-old son was playing in our living room. He told me that my home was being watched, my laptop had been hacked, and we were in imminent danger. I can help you, but only if you cooperate. His first orders don't tell anyone, not her spouse, not the police, not a lawyer. Well, when I first read this, I was like, heavens, did someone call her up and go, hello, Charlotte, I can see your two year old son playing in your living room right now. I have your social security number, your phone. I know where your husband is. If you don't give me $50,000 in cash, bad things will happen to you and your family. (sighs) That'd be scary, right? That's not a scam. That's a threat of like harm and death to your family. If someone was like, holy crap, someone's seriously threatening me. And then the person went on to say, if you contact the police, your spouse or a lawyer, insert threat, I'd be like, that's not, I mean, it's a scam, but like, that's like strong armed robbery. Like you are threatening, harm. That's not what happened. That is not what happened in this story. What happened in the story is the guy's like, I'm a a police officer. Please take out $50,000 and hand it to a strange man in a vehicle. And she was like, well, okay, then. You know, it's funny. Throughout the story, she's like, I feel like I'm being scammed, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is wild stuff. She says, I've told the people the story. Most of them say the same thing. You never see it coming. She mentions that Gen Z and millennials and Gen X, 34% more likely to lose money to fraud Compared with those over sixty, over the age of sixty, it's really amazing. So I'm going to give you the gist of the story. Here we go. It's the morning of October 31st. She's dressing up her kid for Halloween. Her phone rings. The caller ID said Amazon. I answered. Stop. Why? This is the first question I have. My phone rings all the time. I just (laughs) I don't answer it for anybody. Um, I don't even answer it. I I just literally don't answer it. I will never answer my phone. Never. That's just me. Um, but I also clarify, I don't actually have a phone. <clears throat> I guess um, the difference between me and this lady is that uh, as the CEO of a big company who gets like thousands of emails every day, I actually don't own a computer or a phone. That is like my device. You know what I mean? Because with accounting, with legal and stuff, people have access to all of it. It's, it's, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's a weird, there's a point in my life where all of a sudden it's like, I didn't have a computer anymore. I had a computer. I'd play video games on it. No, I have a Steam Deck. I play Baldur's Gate 3, Fallout, Skater XL, and Spelunky. That's what I have. And even that, like, technically someone else could play, but there's no files or anything stored on it other than the video game stuff. There's no personal computer I sit down at. There's nothing where I personally download and store files or have anything like that. The computer that I'm using right now is a work machine used by, I don't know, like half a dozen people or more. Um... I have like seven different phones that I have used for various things, and I'll carry them around sometimes, but other people have access to them in certain contexts. So anyway, long story short, let's read. So the, the, the Amazon lady says, uh, asked her if she had spent $8,000 on MacBooks and iPads. She checked her account. Nothing was wrong. She goes on to explain nothing in her banks, nothing on her credit cards, literally nothing. The lady says that she was the victim of identity theft and was going to, uh, uh, she was working with someone at the FTC who was investigating fraud, and would she connect? And she said, sure, I guess. Okay, at this point, if I got a call from Amazon, I, I got to be honest, I get a lot of texts and calls and emails, and it's like from a crediting, crediting institution or a bank, I just hit delete. Y'all, you can send me a certified letter if you really want to get in touch with me, and then I will physically show up to your location and ask you about it. And if you can't answer it, I throw it in the garbage
1: Assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.comslash carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to CarShield.com slash Carlson and save 20% today.
0: Anyway. So she gets transferred to this guy who calls himself Calvin, said he worked with the FTC, gave her a badge number, said the call was being recorded. And then asked her about 22 bank accounts, nine vehicles, four properties, more than $3 million being wired overseas, mostly to Jamaica and Iraq. Did you know anything about this? No. Do you know someone named Stella Suk-Yi Kwong? No, I, I don't. Here's a photo of the ID. Are, 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 do, you have anything, do you know anything about this? Tech, a car found in Texas, there's blood and drugs. This is on you. He said there were warrants out for her arrest in Maryland and Texas and that she was being charged with cyber crimes, money laundering, and drug trafficking. My head swam. I googled my name along with warrant, money laundering. Nothing came up. Were arrests, warrants public? I don't know. I am in deep-ish, I texted my husband. My identity was stolen, and it seems really bad. Calvin wanted to know if I knew anybody who might be the culprit. No, I said. I don't know. Maybe. At this point, I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to also point out, If you believe you are being investigated for very serious crimes and you are talking with law enforcement and they are asking you to give up details, you will go to prison. There is no circumstance, none, zero, where you talking to law enforcement could benefit you in any way. None. None. I'm talking about if you're in in, in, and I, I mean it. Let's start with um, you were the victim of a crime, and you argue, okay, um, maybe I can help by giving a description or whatever. Okay, let's play a little nuance game. Maybe there's like a one percent, point one percent, where it's like the car that hit me was this description. They say, okay. Typically, police do not investigate crimes to completion, so realistically, even if you give a description about something that's going on, it's not going to help. If you were the victim of a violent crime, no, 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 don't get me wrong. Like there are certain circumstances where you need to give a statement to the police that I get. But in almost all circumstances, they're not going to help you. They're not. I had a uh, a vehicle stolen once. And I called the police and I gave them a description and they did nothing. And they said, what do you think we're going to do about it? What do you think we can do about it? I had been, I told this story before, assaulted in New York. And I called the police and the police robbed me. I'm not kidding. They told me, take out your wallet, give us your cash, or you're going to jail. I'm not kidding. And what can I do? Call IA after that? That's New York. I understand there are certain circumstances, you know, someone breaks in your house, you give the police a statement. The reality is, in a circumstance like this, and in most circumstances where the police are calling you and asking you and saying you're being investigated, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. They tell you that. Anyway, he goes on to say, say, you know have you ever used public Wi-Fi at the airport? She says, yes. He goes, aha, there it is. He says, anyone can be a suspect. It's like, not my husband. He's like, you never know. But he basically goes, goes on to say that maybe maybe it's not your husband, but if you tell him, you could actually implicate him and now he could get a warrant for his arrest. So She goes on to talk about how she's heard these stories before about how people have their identities stolen. I want to get to the meat and potatoes here. So he basically asks her how much money do you have? She has $80,000 saved up. It's an emergency fund that she slowly saved over a long amount of time. And he said, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to uh, uh, transfer you to a CIA agent, the lead investigator. He's going to give you a nine-digit case number for your records. The CIA would tell you what to do next. So she's like, if it was a scam, I couldn't see the angle. Nobody asked me for money. Nothing was going on. I had no idea. So what was she going to say if she called the police? My identity was stolen, help. I have no proof. The reality is if she called the police and said, ma'am, you are being scammed. Stop. Do not respond. Do not answer the phone. So so next thing that happens is uh, she says the next man, I guess it's all one phone call. The next guy who gets on the phone has a deeper British voice, says he's a CIA handling cases involving the FTC and gave a badge number. He sent her, he, he said, go to the FTC homepage and look up the main phone number. Now hang up the phone and I will call you from that number right now. This is the be- one of the best parts. He calls her from that number and she says, how do I know you're not just spoofing this? And he says, it's a government number. It cannot be spoofed. <laughs> like She knew what spoofing was. Dude, you are supposed to call them back. I love this because I've had my bank. My bank really did this. They called me and they were like, we're helping with, you know, your account and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, it was a real, it was real. I know it was real. And it was something related to financial, uh, a financial thing, like a credit card or something. And uh, they were like, OK, so we're going to move forward. But to uh, first, in order to verify the details, you're going to need to give me your name, address, social. And I laughed. And I was like, nice try, buddy. <laughs> Isn't you nuts? You called me. And he was like, I know, but we need to verify your identity. I'm like, no, you need to verify your identity. I was like, you give me your private bank te- de- de- details. I want to know the name of the ACH. I want to know your, your bank. And they were like, we can't give that. I'm like, OK, then I'm going to hang up on you now. I'm going to call my bank. And he's like, "Okay." And I called my bank, and it was the bank that was doing that. I'm like, "You guys are nuts." Anyway, so it's a government number. He said, almost indignant, "It cannot be spoofed." I admitted I had texted my husband, and he says, "You have to, you know, <clears throat> in many cases, will will uh, investigate your husband if that's the case." She's, he said, "You're being you're being investigated for major federal crimes by keeping your husband out of this. You're protecting him." So she deletes. She she says, "I, I deleted the text." He sent text back saying, don't worry, it'll be OK. It felt gross, imagining a third party reading all along. He uh, uh, snowed her the same stories that Calvin had. This is the guy pretending to be a CIA. New Mexico, drugs, blah, blah, blah. He said, if you talk to an attorney, I cannot help you anymore. You'll be considered non-cooperative. Your home will be raided and your assets will be seized. You may be arrested. It's your choice. This seemed ludicrous. I pictured officers tra- uh, tramping and taking my laptop. Can I just come into your office and sort this out in person? And he said, my office is in Langley. We don't have enough time. We need to act immediately. I'm going to talk you through the process. It's going to sound crazy, but we must follow protocol if we're going to catch the people behind this. He said they're going to freeze all her assets. I'll give you the gist of it. They're going to freeze her assets, shut down her social security, give her a new social security number, and then she needs to take out as much money as she thinks she needs from her bank and give it to them. They will hand her a government issued check clearing the money. So that all of the other assets are frozen because they're investigating her accounts. And she can live off of that money, the 50K, and the uh, uh, you know new social security number. He asked her how much she thought she would need. She said 50,000. He said, OK, go to the bank and get that cash. Do not tell them what it is for, because in many cases, the identity thief, it was someone who worked at the bank. I love this. I absolutely love this. He says, uh, it's important to monitor where this money goes from now on. All of your assets are part of the investigation. He told me that one of his colleagues would meet at her apartment to guide her through the next steps. <clears throat> you can't send a complete stranger to my home. My, my two-year-old son will be here. Let me worry about that. It's my job. But if you don't cooperate, I cannot keep you safe. She says, it's impossible to explain why I accepted this logic. Stop. Could it be that you are not a smart person, DC journalist? But I'd given marching orders in a deadline. My son would be home soon, and I had to fix this mess. I put on sneakers in case I needed to run. I brought a backpack for the cash. It's amazing. So she goes to the bank. She says, Michael's on speakerphone. I asked the teller for $50,000. The woman behind the thick glass raised her eyebrows, disappeared into the back room, came back with a large metal box of $100 in bills, counted them out with a machine. She pushed the stack of bills through the slot along with a sheet of paper, warning me against scams. I thanked her and left. The fake CIA agent said, you did a great job. I have to go for a moment to see about the details of your case. I'm going to have you speak to my colleague if you have questions. He put a woman on the phone, blah, blah, blah. Said it was a a, a protocol. She said, no government agency would establish this as protocol. It was preposterous. I need to speak with Michael. I told the woman on the phone, I don't even believe that you're a CIA agent. What you're asking me to do is completely unreasonable. So he sends a photo of a badge. She's like, I don't even know if it's real. He said. I don't know what else to tell you. You can trust me and I will help you, or you can hang up and put yourself and your family in danger. Do you really want to take that risk with a young child? I waited for a stoplight at a busy intersection. I could see my apartment window, blah, blah, blah. She says, I don't trust you, but it seems like I don't have a choice. Lady, you had a choice. You could have told your husband. That's it right there. But, but, But then he would be investigated and go to jail too. Marriages are privileged. Furthermore, she could have opened the box showing the money, and then he would have taken it from her and said, are you nuts? So when I got home, well, she gets home, she has the cash. She puts it in a box, in a shoe box, says, uh, write down your information on it. My colleague will be there soon. Tonight, we will close down your social security number. Tomorrow, you'll need to go get a new one from the social security office. We'll secure the money for you. She says, why can't I use the cash? And he basically said, all of this is going to be frozen. We are giving you a government check, which is clean money. I need to see your colleague's badge. He said, undercover agents don't carry badges. They're undercover. Remember, you are probably being watched. The criminals cannot know that a CIA agent is there. Okay. You see, the funny thing here is the CIA, CIA is not going to send agents like this. It is not burn notice where there is a guy who's a CIA agent who's going to come and do this specialty job like that. The CIA, furthermore, is supposed to be operating outside of the UIS, uh, uh, the UIS, the, the USA, the CIA. I mixed them up. The UIS. I don't know what that is. Uh, uh, the USA. So it would be more like FBI or a contractor or something like that if anyone was going to be meeting with you. She said, in a twisted way, this made sense to me, or maybe I'd lost my grip on reality. Uh-huh. Michael seemed to sense that I was flagging and asked if I had lunch. She says to eat, blah, blah, blah. OK, she says uh, she, he asked what she does for work, says she's going to be in D.C. He says, oh, you can visit me in Langley. A little after six, Michael told me to go downstairs. My husband had just come home, says, what's going on? I, uh, I she said, I whispered I have to go downstairs and meet with the guy who's helping with the identity theft case. I'll explain more later. He frowned and silently mouthed. What? <laughs> I met the SUV at the curb and I put the money in the back seat. It was six to six p.m. Even if I tried to see who was driving, the windows were tinted. It was dusk. He maybe wore a baseball cap. When I turned around, I could see the backlit faces of my husband and son watching from our apartment nine stories above. As I walked back inside, Michael texted me a photo of a treasury check made out to me for $50,000 and told me a hard copy would be hand delivered in the morning. He was working on setting up my appointment with the social security office. You will receive a confirmation text shortly. Stay on the line until you do. I took my son trick-or-treating with the phone still on. It's been five hours. Eventually, the guy's not coming back, so he'll call. She eventually starts to realize what's going on and then says, oh, my God, you're lying to me. You just took my money, and I'm never getting it back. (laughs) Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S., with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? dude. Through choking sobs, I told my husband, he said, why didn't you tell me? I would have stopped you. That I'd been trying to protect him suddenly seemed so idiotic, I couldn't even say it out loud. Our son looked on confused, mama said. At their urging, I called 911. The police said, don't worry, they probably got what they wanted, blah, blah, blah. And the lady gave away $50,000 because she is not a very smart person. She says, I can't believe I was scammed. She thinks she's a smart person. Okay, lady, I'm sad you got scammed. I feel bad for you. But the most important thing is understand. Anybody can be scammed. Anybody. Even me. Even you. That's why I take it very, very seriously. Smart people are less likely to be scammed, but there are still ways to scam smart people by exploiting their assumptions that they are smart people. The reality is just, it's tough out there. And sometimes you might be a victim of a scam and you don't even realize it. Keep your security. Keep your defenses up. I just think it's hilarious. This woman's like, I am a journalist. I should not be scammed. These people, they write fake news. They are not smart. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Remarkable, remarkable story. I got a story for you guys. So a friend of mine one day said, I forgot how it came up. Uh, it was a, it was actually a friend of a friend that I'd met, and he had, they ended up letting me crash at their place in this weird little room that was like, it was a room? But it was not. I guess it was, it was considered a pantry, right? But hold on. It was actually between the living room and the kitchen separately with, a, with two doors. And it was just an empty, like, I don't know. Let me describe 10 by eight foot room with nothing in it. So I was like, I'll take it. College students, couple hundred bucks a month, super cheap. Everybody was excited for the arrangement. So anyway, my buddy, we're hanging out one day, sitting on the couch. And he makes reference to something about, I can't remember how it came up, but he mentions that he loaned, he was going to loan it. He was thinking about whether or not he should loan his buddy $5,000. And uh, he was talking to one of the other roommates about it. And I was like, wait, what, dude? And he's like, yeah, my buddy needs $5,000 for his wedding. I don't know if I should give it to him. And I was like, what what is it? Like, who's your buddy? And he's like, well, it's a guy I work with. I know he's good for the money because he's paid me back before, but this is like a big deal. And so I don't know. I think I might just lend him the money because he'll, he'll probably pay me back. And I was like, Wait, dude, wait, 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 dude, 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 dude. What does he need the money for? His wedding? Yeah, like. So he's from China, and his family is super traditional, and they're mad that he's marrying a woman who's not like part of the the like their tradition. Like it's like an outside marriage, but he loves her, and so he wants to have his own wedding, and he's going to fly back to China. They're going to do the wedding, and then he's going to come back. And uh, like I work with the guy. I worked with him for a long time. And I was like, uh, dude, you're being scammed. And he was like, nah, I don't think so. I know this guy. I worked with him for a long time. Like what's a long time? I don't know, like several months. And I'm like, yeah, you're being scammed. And he's like, dude, he paid me back before. Like I've lent him money before he pays me back. And I was like, oh dude, dude, dude. Yes. he's building the con to steal your money. And so he, uh, he's like, "Ah, I don't believe that dude. And I was like, what happened when he paid you back before? And he's like, there was a, uh, he, he wanted to bet on I uh, I can't remember this, it was a long, this is like 15 years ago. it's was like, he wanted to bet on a sporting event. No, this was probably like 17 years ago. He wanted to bet on a sporting event, and he asked me if I could lend him 500 bucks. And then he was like, we get paid next week, I'll pay you back. And then I was like, sure, okay. So I lent him the 500 bucks. He bet. His team lost. His team, he, the, the, he told me he was going to bet on this team, and then they lost. And then that Friday, he paid me back. And I was like, okay, I'll tell you what he actually did. He took your 500 bucks. He put it under his mattress, waited a week gave you the money back and said, oh, I lost, but you know, here's the money back. Thanks for lending it to me. That's called a con. Con is short for confidence. He's building your confidence so that he can convince you to give him more money. And he was like, oh, I don't know, man. And I was like, okay, dude, if you give him that money, you're going to lose it. And he's like, I, I think you're crazy. Guess what happened? <laughs> the guy left and never came back. Oh, that was funny. I remember hearing about it. I'm like, so you, you lump the guy the money. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, and, and what happened next? Like, I don't know. He's been gone for a couple months. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that was the point. He comes to you and says, let me borrow 20 bucks. I'll pay you back next. I'll pay you back tomorrow. He doesn't do anything with the 20 bucks. He puts it in his pocket. Tomorrow he comes back, takes the 20 out and hands it back to you and said, here's the money. You think he didn't know. Then a week later, he's like, hey, hey, let me borrow $100, man. I'll pay you back. I paid you back last time. Trust me. Trust me. And he's like, okay, fine. Here's 100 bucks. He puts it in his pocket, does nothing with it. Comes back, hands it back to you. All right, all right. Here's your hundred bucks back. Thanks for lending me the money. Same hundred dollar bill probably. Or he washes it. He like breaks change. Then he comes back, and hands you twenties or like a few singles to make it look like he did something. Or he comes back, he's like, I won. I won the bet. Like I made a bunch of money. Here's here's your money back. Then it was five hundred. It's like, bro, you know we're getting paid. You know I'm gonna have the money in my check. I can pay you back. Now you built the confidence. This guy always been paid. he's I lend him money all the time. He pays me back all the time. It's no big deal. This one's serious, though. He's like, he's a friend of mine. We hung out. He wants to get married. Here's the best part. Where did that $5,000 come from? His student loans. That's what he told me. I asked him where, where he even had the money from, and he's like, it's my student loan money, but it's like, whatever. And I'm like, are you crazy, dude? That's not even your money. It's a loan. Apparently, the guy never came back. Now, hey, look, it's been a long time. For all I know, he got caught up in customs. Six months later, he came back and said, I have never been happier. Here's your money back. But uh, I am a firm believer in that it was just a scam. And he gave five grand away to a guy who probably very much enjoyed it and then left. Scams, man. People fall for them. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. When, when there are scams, like when you're experiencing a scam, typically, the scammer sounds really dumb. The scam should be unbelievable. It's one of the ways you know it's a scam. But that's the, that's the issue. The reason why the Nigerian prince emails are often littered with grammatical errors. Everybody likes to make fun of them because they think they're so smart. But this is how the scammers trick you. It's fascinating. I've seen all these articles where they're like these Nigerian scammers. They'll email you saying I'm a prince and my money's locked up. I need help. And these midwits are like, but I noticed the grammatical errors because these people are too stupid to get one off of uh, on me. Yeah, perhaps. But the grammatical errors are on purpose. They want to weed out anyone who might notice it's a scam when they can email 100,000 people by downloading a stolen email list, blast out an email if they make it look real and smart and intelligent and highbrow. They will end up wasting their time on people who are like, wait a minute, this sounds like a scam. I quit. What they want is some doofy dottered with money lying around to wire the money. There are other scams. There's one scam where uh, they, they have these uh, jobs where they call it like financial liaison or they'll say like courier and they'll say like we work for a closing uh, a closing house where it's for retail, uh, It's for real estate sales. And basically the scam will be like, it'll look like a job posting. And they'll say, the job is basically a closing agent for real estate. You'll be given documents on a property and you'll have to uh, do bank runs for the business. They make you believe that your job is something like, and they're not, they're not all like this, but the job is something like the, the, the agent will give you like, you're, you're, it's a low level job. It's really boring. The agent will give you the, the documents for the, for the property and the check. You go to the bank, cash the check. And then you do the, and then you bring the deposit back to uh, to the office and drop off the envelope. Really boring, tedious stuff. Typically, these are just the fees for the closing house, and you know, here's what's really happening. When you get the check, it's fake, and when you go to the bank, they will cash it against your account. And most people don't know this. So what happens is, you think you're getting a job, you meet a guy who's like, yeah, you know, we we sell these properties, and um, so basically. The agents don't have time to go run to the bank and do the do the courier, the drop off stuff. It's really low level stuff. So it only pays a little bit, but we'll pay you 10 bucks an hour and then we'll do you'll you'll do maybe like uh, uh, maybe only like two runs a week. So what really happens is they'll depending on who you are and if they you know how much money you might have and they, they assess it, they might say like, here's a fee we received. It's five hundred dollars. Check it. Drop it back off. Here's the address. When you do, you give the bank the check. They hand you the cash. You say thank you. You hand it to them, and then two days later, your account is minus 500. You gave them your ID. They cashed the check for you. And what happens is when the check came back bad, they deduct it from your account. There was, uh, uh, and, that, and that typically only works when it's che- uh, cashed at your bank. So there's like, obviously, there's, there's ways they pull the scam off. They, they'll ask you about like, what bank do you use? Like It's probably easier if we just go to your local bank or stuff like this. Scams, man. There's a lot of young people I knew that uh, had stories like that. It's true. They thought they were getting a job. And they thought it was an easy job. They were like, oh, I'm working for like a law firm. We do real estate or like we do, we do medical sales, like insert whatever. And they didn't realize simple as that. You cash the check. That's your money they're taking. There's also I heard a story. I don't know how true it is, but uh, someone I knew actually got arrested for it when they tried cashing the check. Cops came in and grabbed him. And then accused them of wrongdoing, and they were just like, "I answered an ad on Craigslist for a job. I have no idea what's going on," because they knew the bad checks were being were being passed around. But I'll I'll just say this: you know, as much as we're laughing at this story, and uh, you know, it's from last week. I'm recording this early. I think it's absolutely hilarious. I think it's important to realize, man. Once again, when you think you are invincible and you cannot be scammed, that's when you get scammed. If people could not be manipulated. Coca-Cola wouldn't be buying billboards. I always, uh, I have this trick. You can probably try it. It's not so cut and dry. It's not so easy. But uh, I grew up with a bunch of hacker friends, computer hackers, and within the hacking community, something called social engineering, which is not as many people modern uh, in, in the modern colloquialism is that social engineering is like manipulating the fabric of society. the The general hacker term is 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 essentially manipulating a person through expectations, like what this story is. You'll go to jail. You'll be arrested. And so, you know. Social engineering is this, what they did to her.
2: Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up So uh, I, know, I know a
0: lot of tricks, I know a lot of sales techniques, and I love doing this thing when I talk to people about scams and manipulation and social engineering. I always tell people, before I get started explaining all of it, because you need about a 10-minute gap from when you say it to when you pull off the trick, because you, you, like, people need a rest period where their mind resets, and I'll explain. I say to people, yeah, social engineering, blah, 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 and, they'll, and they will say, yeah, but that doesn't work on me. I tell people, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to explain to you the nature of social engineering. And I am going to make you say what I want you to say. At the end of all of this, you are going to tell me, yeah, but that wouldn't work on me. And then they laugh and they say, oh, okay, for real. Then you explain all the basics I'll say things like um, the, the, the basic, uh, I've talked about this before, like manipulation of opinion is called rapport, extreme turn. I mean, everyone's got their own techniques, their own explanations, but it's basically approach someone with rapport as a friend, as an ally, give them an extreme circumstance they can't agree with, and then turn it on them, making them come up with the idea. The example being uh, war, for instance, simple example. Uh, someone's an Obama supporter. You approach them. I love Obama too. You high five rapport. Now that they feel that you are friends and you agree. You move forward, extreme. I love Obama blowing up these weddings because these are bad people and I think we gotta kill first, ask questions later. Average person disagrees with that. They'll say, no, that's horrible, that's really bad. Turn, you say, well, I guess you're right. Obama's not perfect. That is the basics of manipulation. Now, when it comes to you know th- that stuff, after you tell someone they're going to say, yeah, but that won't work on me, you then explain something like rapport, extreme, turn. You can then explain incrementalization, um, reasonable, reasonable boundaries as they're referred to. That is, let's say on a scale of, of uh, zero to 100, 50, let's just say negative 100 to 100. So we can say zero is neutral. Negative 100 is hating someone. Positive 100 is is loving someone. When a person first, first meets another person, they're typically around, you know, minus 10 to positive 10. If they're a liberal and they see you wearing a Trump hat, You're going to be in the negative category, but they don't hate you. They're going to fight you or scream at you, although it does get pretty extreme when it comes to Trump. You cannot make someone absolutely hate someone right away because they have reasonable boundaries. That means you have to inch them in a direction slowly, one step at a time. Okay. now, after you give them these basic explanations and it's been about a minute or two, you say, see, and that is the basics of manipulation. It works on everybody. And they'll go, yeah, but that wouldn't work on me. And then to which I say, remember at the beginning of this conversation, I told you I could make you say, quote, yeah, but that wouldn't work on me. You just said it. I manipulated you into saying that. And they go, oh, but that's not, you didn't make me say it. You just knew that I was going to say it. And I'm like, exactly. I knew what you were going to say based on the things I was about to say. You said what I wanted. Now, imagine I wanted you to say certain words and I want to record it for some reason. The point is this. The reason why I tell you all this stuff. Anyone and everyone can be scammed, no matter who you are. All that matters is that your reasonable expectations are manipulated in such a way that you end up making a misstep without realizing it. Like I mentioned early on, you're you're doing a legitimate transaction, you're working with a law firm, and then you get an email that looks like the same emails you've received the same. Everything's perfect. But that wire transfer number is different, and so you think it's real. They have safeguards for this. They say call in to confirm. There are ways around that. You get an email said, here's the wire instructions. A few minutes after you get it, you get a phone call from that number. And it is the young woman that sounds like it could be the secretary. And she's like, we wired you the uh, information. Did you get it? Not only that, if they're spying on you, hacked your computer, they can see when you've opened the email. Then as soon as you do, they call you and say, uh, and then it even comes up in your caller ID correctly. And they're like, "Can can, can you read back the number for us to confirm it? We just sent it over. And you think it's real. Everybody can fall for this stuff. So I'm not going to be too harsh on this lady, but the story is absolutely funny. And uh, I don't know. What a long-winded video about nothing, I guess. I don't know. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll see you all then. This could be it. This could be the end of a lot of what we're seeing with parents having their children taken away from them by the state, by the government, because the children believe they are in the wrong body. Catholic parents appeal to Supreme Court After son was removed from Indiana home over refusal to affirm gender identity. It's interesting story. This uh, uh, these parents, a Catholic couple in Indiana, they're appealing. If it goes to the Supreme Court and they rule, they could put an end to this. They say they're hopeful that the justices will take their case to protect other parents from having to endure the nightmare we did. They're represented by Beckett Law, which stated that on February 15th, 2024, Beckett and Hershberger Law Office filed a reply brief at the Supreme Court on behalf of the parents, asking the justices to strike down the Indiana court ruling and protect the rights of all parents to raise their children consistent with their religious beliefs. Here's the story, and I find this to be absolutely fascinating and extremely important. My heart goes out to these parents. I hope they win. But I do think there needs to be a tough conversation right now that all of you need to hear. Indiana began investigating the Coxes in 2021 and found that the parents did not affirm their son's false belief that he was female and removed the boy from their care, never returning him. Instead, the state placed him in a home with people who called him by the wrong pronouns, so they were misgendering him. You see, to uh, science-minded individuals and intelligent, logical individuals, misgendering is when you call a male by female pronouns. I digress. The parents were also prevented from talking to their son about God or human sexuality during their visits. The courts allowed the state to remove the child from his parents' home over the, over this disagreement on the nature of biological sex. It was in 2019 that the Coxes' son told them he identified as trans. The Coxes sought mental help both for the false belief that he was female and an underlying eating disorder. The child began seeing a therapist. That mental health system, the Coxes say, was heavily biased in favor of gender transition. Yes, they want to sterilize the child. Shortly thereafter, a report arrived with the state of Indiana stating the Coxes were not using the child's preferred pronouns. Indiana took the child away from the Coxes, placed him in a separate home, and have only allowed restricted visitation of only a few hours once per week. They have not allowed the Coxes to pass on their religious beliefs to their son. The boy's eating disorder only worsened once he was removed from his family's care. This is what every parent is afraid of. We love our son and wanted to care for him, but the state of Indiana robbed us of that opportunity by taking him from our home and banning us, banning us from speaking to him about gender. The courts disagree. In the initial proceeding, officials from Indiana said that the boy should be in a home where she is accepted for who she is. In essence, the court decided that the boy was trans. After the investigation was completed, Indiana dropped the allegations against the Coxes, but still kept the child out of their home. Their argument was that the disagreement over gender identity led to the eating disorder, despite the fact that the two were concurrent and that the eating disorder had continued and worsened after he was taken from his parents. Indiana still kept the child away from his parents, even after determining that no abuse had taken place. And this was upheld upon appeal. If this can happen in Indiana, it can happen anywhere. Tearing a child away from loving parents because of their religious beliefs, which are shared by millions of Americans, is an outrage to the law parental rights and basic human decency, said Lori Wyndham, vice president and senior counsel at Beckett. If the Supreme Court doesn't take this case, how many times will this happen to other families? Let's have the harsh, real conversation. These parents, when the child approached them and said they were trans, there was a really simple thing they could have done. Had they known? They could have said, OK, absolutely. Let us know what you want us to do. We're here for you. Now, many of you may be saying, what? why would you affirm the child? Why? The point is to resist this. No, no. You then move. You get them away. You take away their phone. You move. Take them away from anyone who's enabling this, encouraging it, or manipulating them into severing the child from the parents. Because that's what they're doing. The parents should never have allowed unfettered access to the internet. And the kids in the schools who have it are being plagued. By manipulative content online, but it's a story that I've told many times. It's just uh, it's just something I read. A guy said that he, it was it was a social media post. He said his daughter one day started saying that she was a boy, and he had read about what was going on. He was in the know, fortunately for him. And so he asked her what she thought that meant and what she wanted to do, and she said. She wants to go by he, him pronouns and by a boy's name, and he was like, Well, okay, let's 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 figure it out. I, all right, I'm here for you. Let's have fun. Thinking it's a phase, kids do kids stuff, right? You let him experiment. The school started to encourage it, and so he decided to do something very simple. He said, Thank you to the school for really helping his son. He's appreciative that they're so supportive, and he couldn't be more grateful to be in an accepting environment. And then shortly thereafter unfortunately, I got a new job offer and I've got to move. But I want you to know that we're internally grateful for everything you've done for my son. He moved to a rural area, put his daughter in a private school. And within a few weeks, his daughter was back to being a girl, going by she, her pronouns, hanging out with people. And that was it. That was the end of it. The issue here is the resistance. You are in a liberal bastion. They control it. And if you fight them, you'll lose because the state will come after you. Now, that being said, perhaps the good that comes out of this case is that they'll go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court can shut this down in some way. Unfortunately, for most people who are honest and reasonable, uh, life is not easy. Let me tell you. Uh, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. I was hanging out at my friend's house we had guns. We were skating around. And then all of a sudden, after going to the store, uh, I felt a sharp, sharp stabbing pain in my lower abdomen. And I'm like, okay, that hurts like a six. Maybe just goes away. Sometimes, you know, I don't know, you get, you'll get a pain here and there. Maybe something happened. and I don't know. Sometimes people get a pain. It happens. And um, it started to get bad. And then I thought, man, should I go to the hospital? I really don't want to overreact. Calling an ambulance, like, I don't know. It felt really bad. I was like, I think I got to the hospital. This is brutal. It was a kidney stone. And part of me doubted whether or not I should actually go and get it taken care of because people are like, I don't want to create a fuss. I don't want to be the guy going to the hospital and they're laughing, being like, nothing is wrong with you because we've heard those stories. We try to be reasonable. And I went to the hospital. They did nothing for me. They gave me painkillers. a lot of them and it helped. But here's the point. People want to be honest and reasonable. These parents probably heard their kid was trans and then said, no one's gonna seize our kid from us. We're gonna do the right thing. And they said, Well, we don't think this is the right thing for them, so we'll do our best. And they went, We got resistors. I'll tell you another story. I hear these stories. I'll, I'll give you another a scenario. I hear a lot, a lot of stories about squatters. It's really fascinating to me, squatters. You know what I mean? I see a video and it's guy like, I came back to my house and there was a man living there. And when I called the police and told them, they said it was a civil matter and they wouldn't evict the person. Heavens, what do I do? I'm just like, what? Why would you call the police and say there's a man living in my house who won't leave? I don't get it. If I came home and there was a person in my house, I would call the police and say, I have a burglar. I feel like my life is being threatened and I am scared I may have to use force to defend myself. Please get here as fast as you can. Help, help. I'm being robbed. You got a guy who breaks into your house and he's like, I live here now. Well, let, let me inform the police that you're a tenant here. You live here. And people do. People do. Because you try to be reasonable. You try to be reasonable. They say, well, the guy's claiming he lives here. And they say, he is. Yeah, but he's not. He broke in. They're like, I'm sorry, sir. It's a civil matter. That's what happens almost all the time. Don't say it. Just say, he broke in. It's remarkable to me. I was talking to someone and they were mentioning this like, they were mentioning how uh, As actually we had uh, uh, someone on the show mentioning we talked about this on Timcast IRL. I'm like, why would you tell the cops? I am currently involved in a civil dispute with a tenant, and I'm wondering if you could remove them for me. They'll say, no, you can go to court for that. That's the process for removing a tenant. But if you're like, I don't have any tenants, I don't know why that's even being brought up. Don't even bring it up Just say a man broke into my house. And then when the police show up, and he says, I live here. Be like, please help. He's a burglar. He broke in. They'll just remove him. It's not a civil matter at that point. It is a criminal action. Like, could you imagine a guy breaks into your house and he's wearing a ski mask? And then when the cops show up, you're like, I actually live here. I mean, that's one heck of a defense you could pull off. Take off the mask, sit down and be like, no, I live here. She's trying to evict me. I told her to take me to court. The cops are not going to be like, well, we got a civil matter. This is They're going to take the guy out of the house. That's it. Isn't it weird that we live in this, in this time? Anyway, my point is this. You got you to know how to navigate the system. And perhaps the best course of action in the short term, not the long term, though, for a family is just to say, oh, wow, I didn't know. So what should we do? He, him pronouns for my, my daughter. Oh, and my son. I'm sorry. Absolutely. And you think this will help with the mental health issues? Thank you so much. Immediately go home and start planning to move and move immediately. Immediately. Get in your car and move. Just get out go somewhere safe. These people are out to to harm your children. They're your kids. At this point, you've done nothing wrong. You're just like, okay, well, we'll look into it. Thank you for your help. Let's move. Worry about getting your stuff later. I don't know. Every, keep everything legal. I'm not saying like, if the state tells you not to take your kid, you got you to follow the law. I'm saying like, if someone comes and tries to tell your kid they're trans, you're in a bad environment where your kids are being manipulated and you need to get them away from these people. They are predators. Hopefully, the Supreme Court ruling solves all this. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. The secret to success. The secret to getting rich. What are the secrets? Oh, boy. I'll tell you. In this article from Shredder.news, they say YouTube skater Dale Decker says YouTube is the new 9 to 5 due to the saturation in the field. Apparently, he's quoted as saying that there's that old saying that if you do what you love for a living, you'll never work a day in your life. And he said, that's effing BS. He's completely wrong. Dale, I disagree. I'm going to take this opportunity to talk to you guys about how to be successful. And there's some sad realities to this. Life is a path. You're on that path. You cannot go back in time. If I could, I'd go back and I'd buy more Bitcoin and I'd hold on to it. I had a laptop with 20 Bitcoin on it, and that laptop broke, got destroyed, and I didn't care because it was like $18. <clears throat> now, um, what does 20 Bitcoin come out to? Uh, Holy crap, 100, <laughs> wait, is that a million dollars? Wait, yeah, is that a million dollars? 50, 52,000 per Bitcoin, 20 Bitcoin? Holy crap. Well, my friends, I can't go back and I can't change that. But understanding how to succeed in life and what it means to have a job and to be successful on YouTube, that's what we'll talk about. And I'll give you some pointers and I'll give you my thoughts and my breakdown. The reality to life is this. If you do what you love for a living, you will never work a day in your life. And it's true. I can break down why this guy is wrong. But first, let me give you some context. And talk to you about how to be a successful YouTuber, and 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 we'll get into all of that. So let's let's build the context first. This is about skateboarding, but you can ignore the skateboarding. Uh, there may be some esoteric terms, but I, I'm I'm not interested in talking about skateboarding. I'm interested in talking about building a YouTube channel, building social media, making money, being independent, and being successful, and beating the nine to five grind and what that means. <clears throat> so they write. Oh nope nope. It just tried to. I guess it was a link there. It's not always smooth sailing becoming a YouTuber. So if you've ever wanted to become one, it's not that easy, according to YouTube skater Dale Decker. The YouTube sensation went on to say that content creation is like working a nine to five job, even if you love what you are doing as it becomes work. He quoted the old saying that when you do what you love for a living, you'll never work a day in your life. That's effing BS. The regular footed YouTuber also said that doing what you love for a living, like what you love just becomes a job and said it sucks the passion out of it. As we previously reported, fellow YouTuber John Hill received revealed a battle with depression due to the constant grind he had to release on his channel. Like his friend, Decker admitted trying his hardest to upload more videos with too much work than he had put in. Even if you stayed positive, Decker said he enjoys skating now so much more because his rent isn't dependent on it. He doesn't need to be burnt out to be a YouTube star because he also has a job. Now I'll explain to you very simply why this guy is wrong with all due respect. No, Naomi seems like an all right dude, but I will, t- I will, I will tell you, Dale, and if you end up seeing this, like I, I'll break down for you the issue. You don't love being a YouTuber. You love being a skateboarder. So for those of you that are like, I've tried doing what I love and I didn't love it. Okay. Do you love running a business? Listen, it is true that if you do what you love, you will never work a day in your life. Fact. And if you love the grind, you will be rich. That's the reality of it. There's other ways to get rich, you know. What's that song from Lily Allen? Um, that she'll uh, she'll she'll get naked and it'll be shameless because everyone knows that's how you get famous. Yeah, there are certainly easier ways to make money, but let's get real. Being a YouTuber is work related to producing videos, putting keywords, making titles, figuring out the proper upload time, setting a schedule. If you love doing that as I do, you will never work a day in your life. Now, I've got some unfortunate realities to give to you. The first I'll give you a fortunate reality. You don't need talent. You don't need skill. You don't need intelligence and you don't need capital. There is only one thing you need to succeed and become wealthy, and that is perseverance. Scientific fact. Our very intelligent academic researchers looked at all the data and they said no matter how much money someone started with, No matter if they had two legs or no legs, the only thing that mattered in success was perseverance. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Rodney Dangerfield didn't get famous until he was like 50 years old. This is a dude that was trying to be in the entertainment industry and nobody cared. And finally, he just broke down and said, I must suck at this. And so he gets up on stage and says, man, I am terrible at this. Nobody cares. I get no respect, I tell you. And everyone started laughing. And he became the master of self-deprecating comedy, superstar movies. And it wasn't until he was in his 50s. I think he was in his 50s because he never gave up. So the reality of this, if you do what you love, you will never work a day in your life. But here's a guy, Dale Decker says YouTube is just a job. Well, of course it is. If you're an artist, if you're a gamer, if you're a skateboarder, if you like playing poker, if you like skydiving, Your job is not to do any of those things. If you're on YouTube, your job is to produce YouTube content. If you don't like doing that, you're working nine to five. But I got a solution for you. Get sponsored as a skateboarder and work for someone else. You'll make less money and you'll do less work. Fair trade off, isn't it? And then you will do what you love. Now, hold on there a minute. In the world of skateboarding, what do you do? So for those that aren't familiar, don't worry about the esoteric nature of skateboarding. I'm just going to describe a passion project. You wake up every day, you engage in your passion. If you're a video gamer, what do you want to do? You want to play a video game. I love playing Baldur's Gate 3. Do I make money off it? No, maybe we'll, do, maybe we'll make a video game channel. with uh, We have Gamer Maids is one of the channels we have on TimCast.com. Now, let's say you want to monetize that. Well, in skateboarding, you maybe go to the park, you hang out with your friends, you ride around, you feel the cool breeze on your face. But to produce content, to make money off of, now you have to perform tricks on camera. Do you love doing that? If the answer is no, you're not doing what you love. Let me tell you a few pointers and I'll tell you why I'm successful. I do what I love every single day. What do I love? Solving problems. That's it. Forget everything else. Forget YouTube. Forget skateboarding. Forget music. Forget politics. I succeed because I like solving problems. You give me a Sudoku pulse and I'm going to be like, I want to figure this one out. You show me someone trying to solve a problem and I will try to, I will try to figure it out. I will try to solve that problem. Whenever I see a mechanism of some sort that I'm not familiar with, I try to engineer it in my head as to how I would do it. That's who I am. We got the UFO. It's right here. You can't see it. The UFO is floating. And people come into the show and they say, how is that UFO floating? When I bought this, the first thing I tried to do is understand how I could make something like that float. And honestly, I had no idea. I think about mechanical objects like a a shift, a clutch, a manual transmission. And I try to, I try in my mind, understand how that would work. Differentials, how it would work. I try to understand how you can have gears turn in one direction, but reverse the direction of the object. That's just me. I love solving problems. So here's my world. I love learning. I love reading things. I love understanding. And I loved I love solving things. What does that turn into? I read the news all day to understand what's going on in the world and why the problems are happening. I try to imagine what's making these things happen the way they do. And I try to provide an option that could alleviate change or alter the course of that issue. YouTube, I love figuring out how do you get more views? How do you get more traction? How do you how do you do it in solving that problem? I love every day waking up, reading the news, and then I want to talk about it. I want to provide solutions. That's why last night, I shouldn't say last night because we recorded this early. But when we had uh, um, Kirk Cameron on, we raised $42,000 towards his project for making kids content. It is a function of the solution. So a lot of people want to get rich. Do you love getting rich? Well, that's not a reality. That is not a thing you can do to make money and do what you love. What you need to understand, my friends, is that some of you, it's too late. No, for real, it may be too late. Why? There are certainly th- ways you can discover, like Rodney Dangerfield, a powerful thing that will make you successful and famous. Some people have it. Some people don't. That's a harsh reality. You can certainly be successful, but what I'm talking about is Will you fall into that nook of doing what you love and never working a day in your life and being rich and successful? That's rare. And it's rare because it has to come from development. It has to come from experiences in your life that you are satisfied with. Let me explain. Why is it that there are people who say, I don't want to work? They'd rather do something else, right? Well, if you're someone who would rather hang out at a bar, play video games, or skateboard, I got bad news for you. If your passion lies in doing things that don't generate value, you will not make value that you can exchange for goods and services and wealth. Why don't you have those passions? I believe overwhelmingly it comes from your childhood development. That being said, you must find what your passion and drive is because you may not become a millionaire, but you can certainly become successful and live, and live comfortably doing what it is you do love. Let's say you're a skateboarder, and all you want to do is skateboard. I don't want to film I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to sell things. I don't want to make videos. Then you need to find someone else who will do those things and figure out how they can extract value from what it is you are doing. Unfortunate reality is for a lot of people, there may not be a lot of value to extract. That's truth. But let's say all you want to do is skateboard. OK, well, it's really simple. Ride for a team, be good at skateboarding, and then all you got to do is ride around a park and kids watch and then someone else does the work to sell the product and they give you money for it what if you're not good enough at skateboarding? Then the reality is you don't love being good at skateboarding. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, man. Look, there are, are you willing to take the risks? Are you willing to throw yourself down the stairs? Maybe you're too scared. There are people who love doing that and they love it more than you. You may say, I'm not going to break myself for skateboarding. I love skateboarding. I'm not going to break myself. My point is this. You don't love it as much as they do. There are people who are like I would give everything to skateboarding even if it meant the end of my career. Now hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not a, I'm not a utopian. Some people get critically injured, seriously injured and their career's end. And then what do you do? Rediscover a passion and build something new. But this is the point. I see this article and I and, and a lot of people don't seem to get it cuz I hear this a lot. Oh man, being a YouTuber is, you know, like uh, doing YouTube is some people think it's super easy. No, that's work. 9 to 5 but I love doing it. I would not do anything else. There was a period for three years where seven days a week with no days off, I was producing uh, like two hours of podcast content. And people are like, how do you do it? No days off. And I'm like, I got to be honest, dude. I wake up on Saturday morning and I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do. (sighs) I guess I could skate, but I only skate for a couple hours a day when I do. So if I wake up at seven in the morning, as I do all day, and no one else is up, no one's out skating, no one, what am I going to do? I guess I'll make videos. I guess I'll talk about the things that matter to me. And thus, I am doing what I love every day and I make money doing it. Here's the other thing. The more you do it, the better at it you get. And then you're better than everybody else. There is a path of success for you. There is. But you've got to have perseverance. You've got to solve problems. And you have to genuinely love what you are doing. If you are someone who says, I really just want to lay here and read a book. I'm sorry, I don't know how that generates value for someone. What I find with a lot of people who complain about the system and complain about capitalism is that they ultimately don't want to produce things of value. They argue that I should be able to sit around all day playing video games and get paid to do it. Okay, well, you have to figure out that path to do it. But there are people who think the government should pay their bills. The government should do this. The reality is government's not doing it. Someone else is doing it. Someone else is working, giving their value and resources to the government who's taking it and then giving it to someone else who's not doing anything. I don't want to be too too downer when I say like not everybody can find this path, but it is true. Not everybody will find that path or have that passion, but it does exist and everything can be monetized in some way. Everything. So what do I love doing? Let me, let me, let me, hopefully my perspective and what I'm doing may light something up within you and help you find that path to success. I love complaining about things. I mean, I'm half kidding. But I've always loved reading the news ever since I was a little kid. I want to know what's going on. I want to know why it's happening. Maybe that's something in- intrinsic to me. I want to know why things work the way they do. I just want to. It's just, sorry, it's ingrained. So I'm reading the news all the time. i trying to understand what's going on. I found something interesting in my life. People complain about things they don't really care about. You know, it's that meme where someone says, I'm mad. And the other guy says, here's a solution. And he goes, I don't want a solution. I want to be mad. And I'm like, oh, that was enlightening to me. Some people just want to be mad. They don't want to find solutions. So I remember when I was younger, I see someone fidgeting with a widget. And I'd say, oh, if you uh, flip that around, it'll work. They go, I don't care. Stop. I don't care. And I'm like, wow, they really just literally don't want to do the right thing. They just want to fidget with the widget. OK. Or maybe they want to figure it out for themselves. I don't know. And then I was like, I'll do my thing. I'll do my thing. Here's the, here's the reality. You know, when it comes to monetizing anything, what do I like doing? Outside of what I just explained, which I turned into a show, I like skateboarding. I like, um, I like playing poker. I like uh, Magic the Gathering. I like watching anime. I like playing video games. You can monetize all of it. But it's not just one thing. So you like playing video games, right? It's not playing video games that makes money. It is personality plus video games that makes money. So if you want to play video games and make, play play, play games and make money, you're streaming yourself play the game while you're talking to people. Your real job is entertaining through talking to people. Do you like talking to people? Well, then you're probably not going to make a lot of money doing that, being a streamer. Maybe you're really good at video games. Okay. Well, if you want to play video games 24-7, you got to be really good and you can enter competitions and win money that way. You don't got to talk to anybody. You just win skateboarding. Film it. Produce content. If you don't love producing content, you're not going to enjoy what you're doing. But me, I love all of it. Perhaps that's the real challenge for many people. They don't love any of it. I love making content. I love titling videos. I love making thumbnails. I love every bit of it. I love the internet. If you don't, you need to figure out what you do love doing literally and do that. Maybe you're someone who doesn't want to skate. You don't want to play cards. You don't care about politics, but you love making graphic design thumbnails. There's your passion. You'll never work a day in your life. But for the people who are looking at YouTube and thinking that they can be their own boss, not everybody wants to run the company. Not everybody wants to be the guy who handles the finances. Not everybody wants to be the person placing the ads, writing the descriptions, making the thumbnails. That's not skateboarding. That's not your passion. Well, then clearly you're working a job you don't love. But do you really want to be your own boss? Life is the same everywhere, no matter what. Let me me clarify that. I'm not saying that like in Afghanistan, it's the same as in the United States. What I'm saying is they did the study where they asked a guy who had become a paraplegic and a guy who won the lottery, how happy were they? And the guy who won the lottery was super happy. And the guy who got injured was very, very unhappy. A year later, they came back and they asked them, how happy are you? And they both said, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because they they adapted. That's the truth of the matter. That even if you're rich and successful, everybody always says, you know, oh, she's so lucky, she's a star. You know, but she what what's the what she cries, cries, cries in her broken heart? Is that is that the line? What, what, what is it? If she's so lucky, why do the tears come at night? I don't know. But Britney Spears song, you get the point. Let me tell you, man. We have conflicts. We have frustrations here at TimCast. I wake up. I have my coffee. We deal with problems. There's always problems. I, I work so often. I very rarely go out and hang out at the bar with friends. And there are a lot of people who would rather sit at the bar, work there nine to five. You, get to, you, you wake up at 8 a.m. or whatever. You get ready. Get in your car, 845. You drive to work. Maybe your commute is a lot longer than that. You work your job. You come home. You get home at six. Man. That is unthinkable to me. The idea that at five o'clock I would be done is unthinkable. What would I do? I mean, I could do anything and go to the casino, I could play poker, I could go skating. There's so much I could do if I was done with work by five pm. Man, but I'm not because I work morning and night. The reality is when I was when I when I was only doing the morning show and I'd be done around like three or four. I'd be like, what do I do with the rest of my day? I'd play video games, watch TV, go to the movies. We went and saw a lot of movies. We'd go out to eat. And I was like, I'm bored. So we made another show, Tim Cast IRL. Now I do two shows. And if I don't do them, I kind of just sit there like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, this is what I want to do. There's nothing I love more than doing everything I'm doing. It's not work. But here's here's the last thing I'll say because it's kind of just like a rant on making money. And for me, Doing this 16 hours a day plus is what leads to more and more, more and more money coming in. One of the biggest mistakes people make is they say, if only I had money, I succeed. I, I would succeed. I didn't start doing this with money. I was working at, I was broke when I got hired by Vice. I was traveling around the country with dwindling savings. I was not making enough money, so I was slowly losing money. Every so often, there'd be a big news story, and I'd say, if you want to see me do more of this, can you donate, because that's the only way I do it. And I'd make a couple grand per trip, but that was like every other month. So I'm sleeping on couches, 300 bucks for like you know crappy rooms in New York. When I started working at Vice, I had no money, none. They paid me a salary. I said, cool. Then I went to work for Fusion. They paid me more money. I said, fantastic. Then I got paid a lot. When I started producing YouTube content independently, it was actually 2012. But when I left Fusion and said, let's 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 go for it, I'm just gonna start making YouTube videos. It was scary. It's scary because I had a savings, and I was spending a lot of money. I wasn't spending money doing the business. No, no, no. I was spending money on life. I was uh, paying rent, buying food, wondering if I'm going to be able to make enough money doing YouTube to turn it into something I can do for the rest of my life, or like as a job for at least some period. So here's 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 the nature of it. I never had to work at Vice or Fusion. I could have sustained myself from the ground up with what I was doing streaming. I had no money, did some live streams, and people paid me. I then saved that money. I used that to travel around, and I was sleeping on couches and sleeping outside and traveling around doing adventure stuff. I decided at some point, you know, maybe there's a a path to expand my horizons. I decided to go work for somebody. At any rate, I made money, and I saved it. It didn't cost me money to take the job, and I got hired because of the things I had started doing for free. Went outside, filmed things, produced enough to at some point, someone said, I'd like to pay you to do more. I said, OK. Someone else said, I'll pay you more to do more. I said, OK. It didn't cost me money to start. To be fair, OK, like let's let's be literal a little bit. I had to buy a, a six hundred dollar cell phone at the time. So I had worked for a company, bought my bought a smartphone. I was like, wow. So so you got to start somewhere. Starting this business cost me a couple hundred bucks. Anybody can save up. Literally anybody. Don't believe me? Dude, you can go stand in downtown Chicago and panhandle a couple hundred bucks very quickly. And you could tell people the truth. Hey, guys, I need to buy a cheap GoPro so I can launch a business. And I don't make enough at work. So I'm, I'm out here asking people to pitch in a couple bucks. Guess what? They will give you money. I'm not saying that's what you should do, but you could. Here's how I started my YouTube channel. I had a GoPro 4, placed it on top of my monitor, and I pressed record. And then I would just talk for 10 minutes about how I felt about things. Then I would go for like 13 minutes. Then I would edit the video and then I'd post it every day. One video. That's how I started. Started with like 15,000 views per video. And at, at that point, you know, I, I mean, it, it started with a few thousand, like six or seven, but uh, very quickly started going up. And I started making uh, connections from doing it. I started having people uh, say, hey, man, I like, I'd like to collaborate with you. And it was a slow grind. I got to be honest, when I hit like 40,000 subscribers, I thought to myself, like, there's no way I'll ever hit a million because I'm only gaining like 10 subs per day if I'm lucky. But around that point, I was getting like 70 bucks a day. And I was like, I'm making money. That's it. Like, I figured it out. It feels good. So what did I do? I did more. I did more. I did more from one video to I think it was three videos to six videos a day. And I was like, I can do more. I can figure this out and it works out. For me, I love the journey. You know, I I don't, I don't play video games for the endings. I think most people don't. You play for the experience throughout and everything you get to do. There's no end goal for anything that I'm doing. It's all just, what's the next problem to be solved? And you build and you build and you build. Here's what I find. A lot of people, they don't want to do that. What they want to do is make just enough and be done that's fine. But there's a lot of people who are like, I just wish I was rich. I should win the lottery. And I'm like, I, that's not my existence, right? Mark Zuckerberg was asked if he would sell Facebook. and goes, why? I, would, I, I like what I'm doing. I would just make another social media network. Yeah, what's the point of selling? What else would you do with your life? But people are like, yeah, but it's billions of dollars. Don't you, don't you understand? Mark Zuckerberg doesn't care about whether or not you're going to hand him a check for a billion dollars. He's already rich and he's doing what he loves. He wakes up every day with his mission in mind. So that's the secret. Maybe you aren't someone who loves doing what you're doing. You can change, though. They say, what, 21 days to build a new habit? That's what you need to figure out. Anyway, I'm, I'm done ranting on this. I'll give you one last piece of advice that I've given before. There is no no in business only terms. If someone comes to you and says, how would you like to be like Dale? Someone says, how would you like to be a YouTuber on YouTube? making videos about skateboarding. He says, it's a nine to five. It's not what I love doing. Would you say no if you didn't love it? That's the wrong answer in business. The correct answer is how much? So I had a friend um, and I told him this. If you got a call from McDonald's Corporation and they said, we want you to work the cashier in Omaha, Nebraska at our location downtown. What would you say? 99% of people I ask say no. No, I wouldn't do it. You know, I talk to investors and business people. They chuckle and they go, how much? And I'm like, exactly. It's a different mentality. I got to be honest. I don't believe for me or Mark Zuckerberg or anybody, there's an amount of money that would actually get us to run the cashier at McDonald's. And that's because we've already, what I would, I I describe this as breaking the barrier, reaching a point where you've got a snowball rolling down a hill, allowing you to do everything you want to do. And you have nothing to worry about. That means. For you, the question is, McDonald's calls you and offers you a job running their cashier in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, if I'm assuming you don't live in Omaha. Like, you're, like the point is to move somewhere. But if you do, I don't know, Iowa. Um, for the average person, if you're, if you feel like you're stuck in that grind, the question is, how much do you need to get to a point where you feel like you can just live and do what you want to do? For me, I'm doing exactly what I want to do, and it makes money. Maybe you want to get to the point where you do what you want to do and it doesn't make money. You need substantially more than I do. So the answer to the question is how much? And then it's really simple. If they say 15 bucks an hour and you go, I am moving to Omaha for 15 bucks an hour, I make 50 bucks an hour already doing my trade. The answer is really simple. If they say 15, still, the answer is not no. It is whatever number you want it to be. So if mean, came to me and said, work the cash register. I'd say, I got to be honest, dude, there's no amount of money you could get you could offer me. And that's true for a lot of people. There's none. Like not even a billion dollars. I got to be honest. Because I'm like, I don't know what I would do with it. I'm doing what I love, sustained, hanging out with friends, producing content. I'm doing everything I love doing every single day. Why would I stop? To go work. But for those who are stuck in that grind and working, the response should be 200000 a year. And we're not going to give you $200,000 a year to work the register. I'm like, okay, then I don't take a job I don't want. It's really that simple. There's a lot more to it, but I don't know. I just felt like ranting on this when I saw this. I'll leave it there. Otherwise, I'll go on for an hour. Uh, Next segment, I guess, is going to be at 8 p.m. at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.